Wow, packed room for this Saturday morning. Um, language learning. What comes to mind when you hear the word language learning or the phrase language learning? Tears. I heard tears, <laughs> frustration, daunting, daunting painful, painful. <laughs> stress, joy. Wow, yes. What else comes to mind? Perseverance, feeling like an idiot. Connecting with others. Connecting with others. Got to keep it positive. <laughs> <laughs> Other thoughts? Endless vocabulary lists. Endless vocabulary lists. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I just see a sigh already. Okay. Language learning um, elicits a lot of thoughts. There is the endless vocab lists and memorization. There's all kinds of drills. But most of what I heard was the emotional aspects, the frustration, the daunting, the stick-to-it perseverance. Um, but there's also joy and relationship that comes out of it. It's a whole mixed bag. And when we look at language learning, typically we just look at what I need to do to pass the test. That doesn't work when you're in medical missions. Uh, there needs to be the ability to communicate and understand and be understood. And that involves that whole gamut of emotions, especially at the beginning when I heard one of our colleagues that said, I was in the country just for a short amount of time and I was driving down the street and I heard a dog barking and I thought, you know, I only know as much of the language as that dog. And he said it out loud and the national says, no, actually that dog knows more than you do. (laughs) So there can be nothing more humiliating than the process of language learning. But to start off, like for you to be in groups of two or three and just share with one another, why do you want to be involved in medical missions? Okay, so why do you want to be involved in medical missions? We'll take one or two minutes. Are we a group of three? So what are some of the things that you shared with one another? What are some of the reasons why you want to be involved in medical missions? Ministering to patients. Ministering to patients. In what way? Just at the bedside, like being able to talk and share with them. Okay, excellent. Yes, bedside help. Ministry there. What else? Opening a door to the gospel. Opening a door to the gospel. That is significant, yes. Bringing the love of Christ and medical help in a place where there is no help. Okay. Bringing help in the gospel, medical help, to a place where there is none. Yeah, making sure they understand the instructions of what to do with aftercare. Yes, making sure they know the instructions for aftercare. Good. I got started in it with the call and Excellent. 
to learn from those you're working with, your colleagues. Excellent. They've done some um, research on what are some of the keys that help people learn language. And first they assumed that it was your language aptitude. If you have high aptitude, you'll learn the language. And if you have low aptitude, you, you won't make it. And they discovered that's not a good indicator. Uh, it can tell you how quickly you might learn a language or what areas you might struggle in or excel in. But really, the key to learning the language is your motivation. If you are highly motivated and have low aptitude, you will learn the language. <laughs> if you have low, high aptitude, low motivation, you're not going to learn the language. So it's not dependent upon your aptitude. It's dependent on your motivation. That's why I started with why do you want to be involved in medical missions? If you're going just to solve physical needs that has one level of language that you would need. If you're going to um, have an open door for the gospel and share at the heart level, that has a completely different level of proficiency that's needed um, for your language. So today, what we want to look at is assess your motivation for learning the language. Sorry. Uh, Identify appropriate goals for learning language, for example, if you're going for a two-week short-term trip, you're going for a three-month, six-month, two-year, this is your life, those have um, appropriate goals for those levels. Uh, you're not going to be at a highly educated proficiency level in the language in three months. Uh, I'm sorry. But you can achieve a certain level. So what are appropriate goals for that? And then uh, experience some learner-led activities and techniques for learning language. It's not just sitting in class all day long, reading a textbook, listening to your uh, teacher, and assume you're going to get the language. You can't, uh, no one else can learn the language for you. Only you can learn the language. So it's up to you to learn that, and that's determined by your motivation. So why learn a local language? It has to do with relationships. Last night we heard that one of the keys to addressing the opioid crisis is the nature of the relationship between family, friends, the medical provider. Um, That relationship is key to credibility. Enhance personal and professional credibility. There's improved client intakes. You know how important the client intake is. If you don't understand what's being said, you're going to be misdiagnosing. There's decreased medical errors if you're actually communicating well. There's improved client participation in prevention recovery protocols that was mentioned. Um, That is directly correlated with the trust that they have in you. And that trust, many times, is determined by how you interact in your language abilities. Enhance personal relationships, friendships versus loneliness. I've heard from numerous missionaries that they were extremely lonely on the mission field because they didn't know, they couldn't have friends, they didn't know the language well enough to have friends outside the mission compound, and everybody in the mission compound was too busy. And so they were lonely. We would like for you to have relationships. 
And like we heard over here, the relationships with the nationals, we learn so much from them. And we become isolated and we don't grow uh, without that. And then there's enhanced gospel transformation at a heart level. The reason that so many countries have received the gospel and apparently they've become Christian, but it's only on a veneer. When a crisis happens, they return back to their pagan religions because their behaviors have been modified, but their heart has not been transformed. In missions, we want to communicate the gospel to the heart and allow the Holy Spirit to bring transformation of the heart. And that is um, facilitated by good language uh, learning. Here's an illustration you might have seen if you've taken the perspectives course. Uh, This is from Lloyd Quast, a rubric by which we can understand culture. The outside realm is behaviors. These are the things that we can see, see people doing. And that answers the question, what is done? Behaviors. Then there's values. What are some of the values that drive the behaviors? And that answers the question, what is good or best? Uh, They have two options. Uh, They choose this one on a consistent basis because of a value that informs that decision. There's beliefs. This is not your systematic theology. This is the beliefs by which you live. And a lot of times there's a disconnect between what we say we believe and how we actually live. These are the beliefs that inform our way, our values, and our behaviors. Answers the question, what is true? Underneath that is the worldview. What is real? Is the material real or the immaterial? Worldviews impact that. It's at the center where the heart is. And our goal in gospel presentation is to present the gospel at a heart level, allowing the Holy Spirit to transform their heart, which then changes their beliefs, their values, and their behaviors, rather than just changing the behaviors without a changed heart. Now, how does that impact language? As I look through the criteria that goes into the various levels of culture here, I saw an overlap with stages of language learning. Now, there's various uh, charts uh, for standards of categorizing language proficiency. This one is the former FSI, the Foreign Service Institute. Uh, It's now called the ILR, the Interagency Literacy Roundtable. And um, it's actually just the same thing. Uh, Stage one Basically, you're talking about survival, and that really corresponds to behaviors. Stage two talks about my work. I can function in this language culture um, to fulfill my work. I can do my work, but outside of that, I feel like a foreigner. I don't have the language uh, in order to function outside of my work environment. Then there's stage three. This is my world. I can talk about my world now in their language, but it's still from my perspective of the world. I'm translating my thoughts into their world, their language, language culture. Then there's stages four and five, and this is the world from their perspective. I'm communicating to them, and I can understand their beliefs and worldview and what makes sense to them and communicate in a way that they understand it. If your goal 
is just to fix the medical problems. You're probably in the behavioral realm. You would only need a stage one to do that. Stage two is function in the clinic, in your medical profession, um, in that realm, and you can do that, but get outside of that, and you're not sure. When you get to stage three, that's where many of them start to live. When in an indirect culture, you don't um, confront somebody directly like we do, or the French, um, but... (laughs) or the Dutch, um, they, it's indirect. And it's through story, uh, through parables, through uh, their stories. Many times we are being confronted and we don't know it. We just think, oh, that was an interesting story. I have no clue what it is about. And we just go on. And actually we are being confronted. The other thing here, um, there are certain areas that are taboo within a culture. And so you're asking for a client intake and they're talking about um, an STD or something like that. And they don't want to talk specifically about it. So they will give slang words, which you're usually clueless. What does that mean? Or I understand every word in that, but it makes no sense to me because they're being indirect in how they're communicating or death. um, Two areas where a lot of times they use indirect speech. That's normally when we're getting to the two plus into the three area of language. Depending on a translator for all of that information, translators have varying degree of proficiency, and many times they will omit things they think it's unimportant, but it's really key to a proper diagnosis. So understanding those dynamics is important for your success in your medical career, but if you want to go to the heart level, that has a whole other implication. Now, how long does it take you to get there? Uh, I did some surveys from some of the alumni. I'm the uh, training director at the Center for Intercultural Training in North Carolina, where we prepare missionaries just before they go out to the field, how to understand culture and team dynamics and conflict resolution uh, and how to learn language. So I interviewed some of them that are um, doctors and asked, how important was learning the language for you? And they were saying there was a marked difference between those who can communicate in the language and those who rely on translators. Uh, The the credibility is significantly different. Uh, Follow-up on protocols. uh, if If you don't speak the language, they kind of dismiss that. And many times those things are not relayed through the translator uh, to the patient, the client. has significant implications for your success in the medical world, but also with the heart gospel transformation message that we have in Christ. Now, a lot of times there's questions about, do I just learn the trade language or do I need to learn local language, uh, if that's an issue for you? And uh, they did some research. This is among church planters. And this was the percentage of those who saw faith communities established if they worked in just the trade language or they worked in the local language. Working in trade language, 50% never saw a faith community established. 
40% saw one, 8% saw multiple. However, if they worked in the local language, 22% saw zero, 34 one, 40% saw multiple faith communities established working in the, the local language. Most of our mission strategy focuses on the trade language because the local language just takes too long. Uh, let's get on with it. And yet the effectiveness is markedly different. Um, similar things have been shown in other areas as well. Why learn the language? 1 Corinthians 14, 10 through 11 there are, many doubt, there are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. That's the breakdown of the relationship, if I can't communicate. But if you really want a good motivation, if you go to Judges chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, uh, the Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan against the Ephraimites. And when any of the fugitives of Ephraim said, let me go over, the men of Gilead said to him, are you an Ephraimite? When he said no, they said to him, then say Shibboleth. And he would say Sibboleth because he couldn't pronounce it right. They seized him and slaughtered him at the fords at the Jordan. At that time, 42,000 of the Ephraimites fell. Wow. Just couldn't pronounce that shh sound. (laughs) Phonetics. Uh, is important, hearing sounds and producing them. In English, we typically have 44 distinct sounds that we use. In the IPA, the International Phonetic Alphabet, there's over 700 sounds that are distinguishable uh, among various languages of the world. And we don't hear them because we just assimilate, assume everything has to have some kind of um, similarity with English. So we force it into our 44 sounds rather than the 700 that are available. Your mouth has the potential of producing those, but you need to develop the the mechanical skills in order to do that. That's why sometimes facial expressions change when you learn a new language because you're using new muscles, and it kind of changes how your mouth is shaped as you develop those muscles. If you don't, you can really sound like a foreigner. You know when people speak English and you're listening to it and you have to strain to understand. They're, they're speaking correctly, but just how they pronounce it, it's, ah, this is really taxing. And then there's others that you notice they have an accent, but it's pleasant and you just want to hear more. Um, that's the type of accent you should aim for. Um, in order to get there, you need to make about a million mistakes. You can't learn the language without making mistakes. It takes a million mistakes to learn the language, so get started. Now, many doctors are perfectionists, and you have to get over that when you learn the language. Uh, You're going to fail over and over, but each time, if you fail forward, uh, you'll learn the language. If you just give up, um, you won't. Or if you wait till you can say it perfectly before you ever use it, you probably won't learn the language. So get used to the failure aspect. A good quality for a good language learner is a sense of humor. Uh, you can fail and laugh at yourself and be laughed at, and that's okay. 
because your identity is not wrapped up in your performance or your perfection here. Your identity is in Christ. And this is the way to develop relationship with others. Now, what are some options for language learning? There's language schools. Language schools, there's a wide spectrum of what's available. Um, You have college, university courses. You have um, business school, um, language schools. You have schools designed just for missionaries. There's all over the map as far as quality. There's some excellent language schools. And there are others that do well in certain areas, but miss it in other areas. Make sure you have a comprehensive um, approach to language. That includes the four skills of listening, speaking, reading, and writing if you're in a literate culture. If you're in oral culture, the reading, writing, you can pass on. Um, But listening, speaking, reading, writing, receptive and productive skills. If you're in a classroom like this with lots of people, you're not going to have much interaction for the speaking. You'll do a lot of listening, but little speaking. So you need to supplement that language school with the speaking part, and that would happen outside of class. There are others that engage the whole person and all the senses, and others it's the teacher speaking. When I went to uh, the university in Portugal, uh, the professor would speak basically in monotone, monotone reading the script, and there was no interaction, and you just took notes the whole time. Um, that was a lot of my classes. I had a supplement outside. Here's one thing that I did. Um, I'm an introvert. I like to be behind the desk reading a book. Uh, but I knew that in order to learn the language, I had to get out. And looking at Portuguese culture, because I lived there for nine years doing church planting, but at the beginning, um, I identified seven different cafes. The hub of culture in Portugal is a cafe. And people go there like three times a day and sit there for an hour. It takes 17 seconds to drink a espresso, and then you sit there for an hour. And for me, it was about the task, and so I had to make language learning a task. And I would go there and um, interact with the people. At the university, we would get a certain topic of Portuguese culture uh, or some of the language. And I would go to the cafe and um, say, this is what we learned in, the, at, in school today. So what do you think about this? And the, each of the cafes had um, a separate clientele. Uh, either politic, political party difference, or some were university professors, others were the farmers, and others were business people. And so I identified seven different social classes, and I'd go in there every day and say, this is what I learned at the university. What do you think? And I would get seven different perspectives, seven different uh, forms of vocabulary and sentence structures, so that later I could identify when somebody was speaking where they fit in Portuguese culture, and then I could interact with them appropriately. Don't limit your language learning to one person, uh, a tutor or a teacher. Get a variety. There's a a variety of subcultures here, and you need to know how to interact appropriately. So have a variety. Language school is a very good option. They usually know what they're talking about. Uh, Same with a tutor. 
Uh, tutor is an educated person that can help guide you through the language learning process. There are language helpers. And this is someone who's not a teacher. They're not in charge. You are in charge of the language learning process. You draw the language out from them. They might not be able to explain all the grammatical rules, but they know how to speak correctly. And you just set it up to draw the language out from them. We'll demonstrate that a little bit later. Then language classes pre-field. Um, if you're headed overseas, you know the language group that you're working with, find some people in the area. Interact with them or take a class if there's one available. And then independent study materials. There's lots of online um, options, Rosetta Stone, uh, Berlitz, all kinds of things uh, that are available, and more all the time. In those, make sure they're addressing all four areas. Um, those are usually, those are the linguistic areas, but the pragmatic areas of language learning are best learned in context. Um, if you go to a language school in another country before you go there, remember that how the language is used in each country differs from the others. So you can learn some of the basic vocabulary and sentence structure, but it's going to be used in different ways in other cultures and contexts. And then developing your own program, mix it all up, and uh, take charge of your language learning process. Now, I'm going to um, help you, or you're going to help me, uh, figure out some of the grammatical structure here. This is Aztec, and there's a house. This is my house, Nokali. Which part of Nokali is house, and which part is my? Can you tell? No, not yet. But we can figure it out. Nokali means my house. Nokali mace is my houses. Okay, we still don't know which part is house or my, but now we know there's a plural um, suffix there. Ekali is his house. Ah, now we're getting an idea. Tikali mace, your singular houses. Likali, your plural house. Prokali mace, our houses. So therefore, you can find your prefix and your suffix. Kali is house. Make language learning an adventure. Play with it. Have fun. Now, here, we're going to do it with pictures. And this is still Aztec. Bello. That's what is Bello. What would this be? Bello Mace. What, and this stands for my. Okay, this is me, my. So, my. No Bello. Very good, very good. And this is his, okay? So, e pelo. very good. E pelo mes. No pelo. Okay, when you're doing it this way, you're not translating from English. 
you're seeing the object or, um, or a picture of the object, and so you're associating that word with the object, not doing a back translation into English and then coming forward again. And so you're not writing the English words on the back of the card if you have cards. You're writing their word, and you're associating that word with that object. So it's not the back translation into English all the time, because many times in English there's no direct translation. And you're trying to force an English meaning into it when it's not there. No pelames. You're good. See, you got it. Okay, now we're going to try to learn something else. This is called look and listen. And we're just going to focus on the listening part. Now we're not going to produce. Um, if some of you have heard of, or how many have heard of um, Greg Thompson's GPA uh, approach to language learning? Has anyone? No? Okay, that's become quite popular among mission uh, language schools. There are numerous language schools that are popping up um, using the GPA method. Um, this is part of that. You have, um, first of all, there's no mimicking, and you're just trying to comprehend. So you point to something, and the language helper just repeats. As long as you keep pointing to it, they repeat until you get it. Then you have them say the word, and you point to whatever, a picture or an object. Then you learn, learn the words for yes and no or correct and incorrect. And then they point and say a word and you say if it's correct or incorrect. And they can have fun with this because they try to trick you. Okay? Those are different brain functions. And it makes the language go deeper. Rather than just trying to sit and memorize, um, you're putting actions to it and you're, you have to make differential um, decisions between them. So I've asked um, Li Xing uh, to come. I do not know any Mandarin, and she, her mother tongue is Mandarin. So I'm going to have her, I'm going to learn some Mandarin from her, and you're going to do it with me, okay? So, yes, if you come up here. Okay. Malishing, I will point to an object on my face, and this is basic anatomy. Um, I'll point to an ear, an eye, a nose, and a mouth. Okay? So, what would this be? Ardo,眼睛,耳朵,眼睛,鼻子,鼻子,眼睛,鼻子,耳朵,眼睛,鼻子,嘴巴,嘴巴,嘴巴, 鼻子, 嘴巴, 耳朵, 眼睛, 鼻子, 嘴巴, 
Okay. Now I'm going to have her say a word, and we're all going to point. Uh, Okay. Are you ready? Or do you need to hear the others one more time? Go for it. Okay. Go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> okay. Now, how would you say yes or correct? Yes is shi. 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 Okay. And no or incorrect? Bushi. 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 and Shi. Shi and Bushi. Okay. Now you say a word and point to something and we'll say or Bushi. Okay. So you do that just for the listening. Then you can go on and introduce the production, the, the speaking. Um, now, with Greg Thompson, he suggests that the first 100 hours of language is just comprehension. You're just listening without speaking for the first 100 hours. After that, then you start to produce. He, he would say that before that, you're not hearing all this phonetic sounds correctly. And if you start to speak too early, you'll cement that incorrect way of production. And your folk, those are two different skills of listening and speaking. And so if you mix them, it, delay, it can slow you down. Now, let me just say here that in the various approaches to language learning, if you um, look at the per- producing the person who produced those um, approaches, you understand why they have that approach. 
for example, years ago they had the Brewsters um, who uh, wrote the book LAMP, Language Acquisition Made Practical. And they also wrote the book Bonding and the proponents of immersion. So you get off the plane and you go live with a family for the first six months and you have to survive. And it's going to force you to learn the language. Well, those that are energetic, high-risk-taking people loved it. And they got it. And others that are more introverted and uh, social, it was killing them. And several burned out and came home early. Not every approach works for everyone. Now, that immersion experience is appropriate, but at its appropriate time according to who you are. Some of you learn best just by jumping in there and figuring it out. And you love it. It's a big adventure. And others, you would just shrivel up and die in something like that. And you need a little bit, he calls it, in the nest. So you're with a safe person, and you can interact and develop a certain basis before you go do an immersion um, aspect. So knowing yourself is critical to what types of approaches you might use. Now, there's TPR, and that's total physical response. And it looks almost the same as what we just did with the look and listen, but here it's verbs. We were learning objects there. Now you add in verbs. So since I learned a little Portuguese, let's all learn some Portuguese. So I want you to follow what I do as I say it. Fica de pé. Senta-te. Fica de pé. Senta-te. Fica de pé. Senta-te. Fica de pé. Ande. Para. Ande. Para. Ande. Corre. Ande. Para. Senta-te. Anda. Corre. Para. Fica de pé. Vira as costas. Anda. Vira as costas. Corre. Para. Senta-te. Ande. Para. Fica de pé. Vira as costas. Para. Corre. Para. Senta-te. Very good, very good. Okay, what you can do with that is um, have some pictures of objects or have the objects themselves. And then learning some of those verbs, having your language helper tell you to go turn off the light or cut off the light, depending on where you're from. Um, go pull the shades. Take the dish out of the, um, out of the cupboard. Put the glass up in the cupboard. 
go get the scalpel off the table. Um, get the syringe from here. Make this cut. Do this suture. And learn your vocabulary with a language helper in that setting. Now, many times um, <clears throat> the local language doesn't, they do not have words, vocabulary for your technical things in the medical realm. And so they would probably refer then to the trade language that might have the, the language for those instruments or those procedures. So knowing your domain and what language is appropriate in each of those domains. Here's an interesting thing. This comes from Don Smith. Um, he wrote a book called Creating Understanding. He was uh, the, one of the founders of Daystar. Um, Bible College in uh, Africa. He says there's 12 signal systems for communication. There's the verbal and the written, and that's basically what we were talking about. But then when you get into the pragmatics where you're linking all the culture, that's the, the other 10 elements here, where you have numeric, numbers, and numbers have different meanings in different cultures. Uh, here we don't have a 13th floor in hotels. Why is that? Unlucky number. In China, I hear they don't have fourth floor. And why is that? It sounds like death. Yes. So they would not use the fourth floor. In fact, if there are four, you want a table for four, they would say three plus one uh, rather than four. Um, so knowing what are the significance of numbers, um, Many countries, you would never get a dozen roses for your, your spouse or your, your boyfriend, girlfriend, because that's only given at funerals, even numbers. Um, you need to have uneven numbers. That means love. So numbers mean different things. But also, um, I found out when our kids were in Portuguese uh, elementary school, they do math differently. I did fairly well in math. But in elementary school, they were confusing me. It looked different. They came out with the same answer, but the process was different. I thought there was only one way. Um, there's pictorial. How they design. Uh, those are two-dimensional um, art. And then there's artifactual, the three-dimensional art. Like in architecture, houses have different shapes. And you look at it and say, oh, that's from Asia, that's from Thailand, that's from uh, Africa. You just recognize there's a distinct thing about its architecture, its um, artifactual designs, pottery, things like that. Audio, um, music, and verbalized pauses sound different in different cultures, and they have different meanings. You have the Knesset. Um, how you, your posture, how you use hand gestures. Do you use hand gestures or not? Um, optical, color, yes. 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 <laughs> yes. Learning those things is critical. <laughs> like, come here. Um, 
when they first started calling me, they're saying bye. Do I need to leave? Do I, what? Um, the tactile, do you touch or not? What type of touch is appropriate? Uh, greetings. Are you sometimes kisses on uh, cheeks. Is it um, one cheek? Is it two cheeks? Is it three? You don't have three cheeks, but you kiss uh, three, three sides. Uh, or is it like in Russia, um, men lips to lips? Um, what's culturally appropriate? Um, in a lot of African contexts, the, the men are holding hands. It doesn't have anything sexual about it. It's a, a friendship. Um, and if you refuse, it, you're telling them, I don't want to have a relationship with you. Um, how close do you get in the spatial? Um, do I keep like eight feet of distance? Or like here in the States, it's usually um, like 30 inches, and then there's 18 inches, which is kind of appropriate for friendship. Um, but then intimate space is 18 inches or closer uh, here. But you get into other cultures, like a lot of Latin cultures, they're right in your face. And if you take a step back, they feel offended. Um, but if you get that close in an Arab context, whoa, um, You've just entered their intimate space, knowing what's appropriate. But that also has implications for you as medical professionals. Um, what is appropriate touch or not? Um, that can change culture to culture. Your temporal. What's on time and what's not? Um, <laughs> and then there's olfactory. Smells. Yes. Um, I don't know what is something that your mother or grandmother used to make that was kind of your favorite thing. You would walk into the house and smell that. And it was, ah, I'm home. Or this is something special. It might have been baked apple pie. It might have been something else. Um, and to you, that means, ah, I'm home. When we got to Portugal, we started walking down the street, and there is this smell emanating from a lot of the grocery stores. We thought, what is dead in there? It smells horrible. And it was um, dried, salted codfish uh, that was right by the door usually, and it smelled like something died. Well, it did. Um, <laughs> but it um, smelled horrible at first. But for them, like a, a Christmas or a wedding, if they make a banquet, that's what they have. And there's hundreds of different ways to make it. And after we were there for a while, it, ah, this smells good. And then we came back to the States and found a Portuguese community. We were walking down through, ah, there's a becalhau. It's wonderful. Um, your sense of smell could change as you're in different things because it means something different to them. Now, as you notice... The consciousness of use, the most conscious is the verbal and the written. The least conscious is down here at the bottom. But as consciousness of use decreases, there's increasing believability. And here, yes, the bottom is the most believable. The least believable forms of communication are verbal and written. If there is 
um, contradiction between what is said and the things that are sensed down here. This is what is believed, not what is said. That has huge implications for when you're presenting the gospel. If you just translate your words and you're speaking, but everything down here is communicating something different than what you intend because it's culturally different, you're sending mixed messages, mixed messages, and they believe the cultural part rather than the verbal. Now, when I ask um, nationals saying, we are preparing people to come into your context, what would you like for us to reinforce while they're with us? And we're basically dealing with North Americans going in other, to other countries. And no matter what continent, I got two consistent answers. Number one is they said, could you emphasize humility? Many of them said, we have yet to meet a humble American. That was a stab to the heart. But humility is culturally defined. What we do to demonstrate humility can look like arrogance in other cultures. For example, um, just a relaxed posture that says, okay, I can relax here. That gives a credibility here in the States many times. But there, that means arrogance. Or just hands on the hips. Or, um, a, you know, you're, you do your leg. <laughs> uh, it's just like nervous energy. That demonstrates nervous energy. And I don't have real peace in myself. There's something that's not right. And they're looking a high value in many cultures is internal peace. And that's demonstrated physically. So even though we're talking about peace, our body language can be communicating anything but. And we're unaware of it. They believe the cultural part rather than what we're saying. Just some things to keep in mind as you're thinking about language. Language is more than just the vocab and the grammatical structures. As complex as they can be, we have been influenced by Greek um, line of thought, Greek philosophy, and we're very linear. So our script is linear. In many cultures, the scripts are not linear. They could have an initial consonant uh, at the end and vowels that are all around a consonant. It does somewhat reflect their worldview. It's not linear in how they think. They think holistically, and their language reflects that, both the scripts as well as the grammatical structures. Uh, some languages, they don't conjugate verbs. They conjugate the pronouns. And every sentence has pronouns, unlike English. So there's different ways of thinking, and this is a great window into how they think. And then how do I communicate to them at their heart language. Now, I did a lot of talking, so what questions might you have? Yes. Thank you. The other one was gratitude. They say that most Americans are really ungrateful. 
What are some things that we might do or say that demonstrate ungratefulness? Tossing out food, yes. Boy, food's a big one. Or just asking for salt and pepper means they gave us their best, but it's not good enough until we add a little bit more salt and pepper. And that's just normal for us. We go to uh, any fast food restaurant and say, hold the onions or one extra pickles or something like that. And that's normal for us. We want it customized. They don't have those options. They've already given their best. But just our off-the-cuff comments demonstrate that we're not grateful. Any other things? <laughs> okay. There's a difference of opinion on what are the easiest and hardest. And it also depends on the language that is your mother tongue. Um, so if your mother tongue is English, um, the Foreign Service Institute has categorized them um, in four different categories of difficulty. Uh, so the group one would be like Danish, De Dutch, French, Haitian, Creole, Italian, Norwegian, Portuguese, Romanian, Swedish. Those would be in the easiest category for English speakers. Um, group two would be like Bulgarian, Dari, Farsi, German, Greek, Hindi. Uh, group three would be Amharic, Bengali, Burmese, Czech, Finnish, Hebrew, Hungarian. Those are some examples. And then group four, which would be typically the most difficult for English speakers, would be Arabic, Cantonese, Japanese, Korean, and Mandarin. However, you already have experience in learning some Mandarin. <laughs> <laughs> so good job. <laughs> yes. How do you learn? Prior to going is difficult. Um, you can read and do some research. However, remember that culture is dynamic, and those things can change over time. And so just because it's written in a book, it might have changed culturally. Or your area, that subgroup of people, it means something different. So it's best learned in context. You're going to make mistakes. But I would say that you're going to make mistakes, but if they see your heart and you're motivated by love for them, they will overlook a lot of mistakes. But if they are there to serve you, um, your mistakes just grind them and become an irritation. So it really depends on your posture of your heart. Philippians chapter 2 is a good chapter for missionaries going into another culture. Um, how did Christ... Enter our culture. And what's the posture? Yes? Um, for those of us still in medical training but preparing for the field, um, would you recommend kind of getting a head start on language training or kind of waiting until we can devote more of our time to it in like a dedicated program? Good question. Should I start now as a med student learning a language? Um, I would say learning another language can be helpful. 
but focus on where you are now. <laughs> Do that well and add those other things as you're able. Um, one thing, a question normally comes up, um, does it get harder to learn a language the older you are? It can. Um, because you have a lot of information that you have to reprogram your brain to categorize in different categories. And that takes time. However, if you're used to um, finding new ways of thinking, um, adding another language can come fairly easily uh, for you if you're not locked into one way of thinking. Um, they found some tribal uh, people at age 70 learning a new language quite quickly. It wasn't age determined. It was how fixed they are in their way of thinking. Um, so that's why playing with languages can free up your mind to have different ways of processing. So that can be a fun activity as long as it doesn't distract you from what you're currently focused on. <laughs> Earl Stevick at the Foreign Service Institute uh, did some research of the, they've trained tens of thousands of people, and he tried to identify the seven best language learners he could and try to find what are the characteristics of these seven. And as he looked at them, they all learned differently. Some loved rote memory. Others hated it. Um, others uh, had to learn it within context, and others could learn from a book. And these were the top seven that excelled above everyone. So it's really unique uh, to an individual and how they approach. Um, this might be a challenge for some of you. I've heard one that said he would um, he negotiated with the nursery school teacher and said, could I go to nursery school? And so he went to nursery school for a whole semester. And he said, it my, his language just excelled because he learned the basics. And it's like learning the alphabet like we do. Um, started very simple. And he could grasp that. If he went to the university course, they assumed all that knowledge. But also there you get the nursery rhymes, the stories that they learn as kids that later become very instrumental in how they communicate. And most language schools miss that. So be humble. <laughs> Learn the language as a child. But in the process, I would say you will gain new perspectives of our great God. There are things in the English language about God that we never see because our language is so restrictive. And as you learn another language culture, you can come into a deeper appreciation and worship of our great God. And see, there's other facets about him that we've missed through the lens of our language culture that now, wow, isn't it wonderful at the throne room of heaven, the various languages and cultures are going to enter into worship of our great God. All together. Yes. Um, looking at a refugee coming to an English-speaking country, how difficult is it for them to learn English? Like we're looking at learning something else, but how difficult is the English language to It's very... Um, I'm sorry, um, our time is up. So if you'd like to leave, you may, but I'd like to just answer her question there. Um, many don't because they stay restricted within that community, and um, they don't have friends that ask them anything. 
I would say when we take an interest in them and come alongside them, they have a great potential of learning the language well. But if we just isolate them to their community, they probably won't.